Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I am Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer, and your host. This is episode 18 of our Kickstarter podcast, the second episode of season two, as we start the new year, year of 2012. And I want to thank all of the fans that have written me and contacted me. You can reach me at rbliss at thegamewhisperer.com or follow me on Twitter at thegamewhisperer. And uh, I appreciate all the feedback that we've got about those who are really enjoying the podcast and the things that we've talked about. You know, Kickstarter has been uh, such a an innovative new thing for us to talk about in the board game industry. It's got everybody really excited. And it's one of the things that I saw and felt that it really needed an opportunity to be discussed outside of the fundamentals of um, what's going on, but looking at a bigger picture. I know I'm kind of talking in generality here, but... That's why what you've seen, I've started to compile the numbers, I started doing the research and showing a bigger effect of Kickstarter rather than on an individual campaign or project. This episode, for the next few minutes, next 20 minutes, we're going to talk about something uh, that I have uh, been involved with for a long time. In marketing, uh, several years ago, back in the uh, 90s, a gentleman by the name of Clayton Christensen came out with something called what he defined as disruptive innovation. And what a disruptive innovation was is basically pretty straightforward. It's a technology that comes in, a technology or a service that basically allows you to address, it's a product or a service that allows you to focus on a new set of customers in a market. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that um, a segment of the market is generally not being met and a disruptive technology, which can be a product or a service, comes in and meets this new, this, this, this tiny little niche of the market. But they do it in such a way that these customers become fans and become uh, bought into the, the system. And a new value market, uh, value, what's it called? It's called a uh, value network. There we go. Sorry, I'm kind of... This podcast is being done a little late at night tonight, and so I'm kind of rambling. So I, I appreciate you staying with me here. A value network. So what's a value network? Well, let's talk about the board game industry then. And and the reason I bring this up is because Kickstarter has fundamentally made some changes to the board game industry. And some people are arguing that no, that it's that it's not, that the risk has just simply been shifted to the customer rather than the publisher. I don't buy into that. And I wanted to talk about that and kind of go into some details. So that's why we're we're not clear-cut here on the uh, on this episode on my agenda. I'm going to talk about this. So what this is, so let me give you an example of what a value network is. So right now, traditionally the way it works is if I, uh, the way a game comes to market, and I've talked about this in the past, excuse me, a game gets developed by a publisher or a designer, and the designer takes it to a publisher. The publisher then decides if they want to to create it in that format. They'll make some tweaks, some changes. They'll fit it into their model, and then they'll they'll release the game. It goes through a, a development process, funding, art, all of that, and they release the game. And when they release the game, they tend to then release it to the distributor network. The distributor network, which are all over the place, these are companies that kind of act as a middleman where they, they bring in all the different games from all the different game manufacturers, and then they sell, in turn, to the retailers. And the retailers are your friendly local little game stores that buy from these different distributors. They can sometimes buy directly from the manufacturer or the publisher, but generally they'll buy from the distributor. And one reason is is because if you, you know, 
let's say you have to purchase in $500 minimums. You're a small little game store and you've got to purchase in $500 minimums. Well, if you have to purchase $500 minimums from one game company, Fantasy Flight Games, and then from Rio Grande Games and from uh, Mayfair Games, suddenly you're spending $1,500 and all you wanted was a couple of copies from each company. By going through a distributor, you're able to spend the $500 and pick one game over there, two games over there, three games over there, and kind of mix and match. Well, what this means is that publishers, honestly aren't selling to you and I game players. That's not who their customer is. Their customer is the distributor. And you're like, no, 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 the distributor doesn't play the game. Well, the distributor is the one who gives them the money. And whoever gives you the money is your customer. So game publishers are trying to find and publish games in such a way that game distributors want to carry their games. And in turn, the customer for a game distributor is the retailer the friendly local game store, because they are the ones that give the distributor money. And so you've got this disconnect, but this is called the value network. And then at the very end of that value network is you and I walking into a local game store and buying the game. The money doesn't go back up the chain. The money has already gone up the chain, and we're simply feeding the last mouth in that value network. So that's that's what's called a value network. And in a disruptive innovation is when something comes in and disrupts the current value network and replaces it with a new one. Hence, Kickstarter. Well, what does Kickstarter do that fundamentally changes this value network? Well, as you know, if you've listened to my podcast, in 2011, $2 million was successfully pledged to board games to successfully bring these board games to market. $2 million. Uh... I'm not sure how much money the board game industry does right now, but $2 million is still a lot of money to anybody. But here's interesting. Tell me, and you know the answer, and this is an obvious question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Anyway, how much of that $2 million did the current board game value network see? The retailer, the publisher, the distributor, the retailer, and the publisher. How much of the of that $2 million did they see? None. They didn't see a single penny of it. They didn't see, traditionally what happens is, is the money is, is invested by the publisher, who then sells it to the distributor, who then sells it to the retailer, who then sells it to the customer. So by the time the customer gets it, money has been handed off all the way up that chain, that throughout that entire value network. Along comes Kickstarter, and a game is delivered to the customers. They have it in their hands, and they paid money to get it. But no one in the value network got a piece of that money. Well, you could kind of argue that the game publisher got the money, but really, of the $2 million, uh, there were only a couple that fall under the category of, of Big time, not independent game publishers. You've got, uh, you know, uh, you're looking at indie uh, boards and cards that's kind of doing this. You've got uh, Mayfair Games, May May Day Games, excuse me, May Day Games. They're kind of taking the model and realizing that this is a new way of delivering or building a value network. And so that's what's going on here is that Kickstarter is fundamentally changing the way that the money is handled and the value network is delivered. So what you're going to see in 2012 is 
a new value network begin to be developed and built up around Kickstarter? Because $2 million is going to be a drop in the bucket. We're going to do $3 million at least in 2012. And then in 2013, it's probably going to creep up to $5 million. And right now, if you're Fantasy Flight Games and you're doing 15 to $20 million a year in board game sales, you look at Kickstarter and you're like, okay, yeah, that's cute, but that really doesn't impact me. It begins to become an impact because what's going to happen is little by little, there's going to be a shift in this value network. And a couple other things that are driving it, and one of the things that makes it difficult for the big guys to get involved is that it just it's distracting. It takes a lot of work. Ask any Kickstarter project owner, and they'll know just how much incredible amount of work it takes to bring a single game through the Kickstarter process. These big game companies, they just don't have the time to do that. They've got their own value network built in that they have to pay attention to, and they have competitors that they have to defend off. But, uh, you know, little Chris and Sherilyn over there at Dice Hate Me Games with their carnival uh, little game, they didn't have to worry about that. They put the game out there, the money came to them, the games went out to the market, and boom, they're happy. Or uh, a few of the other folks uh, that got games coming out, some of these are building game companies around it, those of you who are listening, and or some of you are simply trying to get the game and then figuring out a way to get it distributed out there. And the challenge is, is that the, the value network that's out there isn't necessarily interested, they kind of are, but they don't think they're really interested in this Kickstarter thing working. Because if the Kickstarter thing really gets going, the whole value network starts to break down a little bit. Well, you could argue, well, no, it simply puts the money funding into the hands of the publishers who can then start to traditionally push things through the distributor and retailer cha retail channels. Yes, but think about what's happened before to get that Kickstarter project going. That game, for example, D-Day Dice, 2,000 customers got a copy of that game. 2,000 customers. I think it was 2,000, wasn't it? 2,000? Maybe 1,000, 2,000, whatever it was. I'll have to go look it up. Those customers didn't go to a game store to get it. And when they come out with the enhancement, those customers aren't going to have, aren't going to go to a game store to get the, uh, the expansion. It's, they're setting up a new value network because now these game distributors, these game manufacturers have a direct channel to their customers. I talked to one guy, a uh, good friend. Uh, he and I, he's had a, a successful a Kickstarter project. And he's thinking that he's, that he's never going to actually take the game to market. That because the costs have all been paid, the urgency isn't there to shove this through the channel. So think about it. If you're Fantasy Flight Games or you're Mayfair or one of these other bigger game companies and you come out with a game, you need to get the money back for the development of that game as soon as possible. As quickly as possible, you need that money back in your pocket so you can keep paying the bills. And so that's why you shove it down into the channel as quick as possible and you shove it down into the, the retail end as quick as possible. And you might not spend as much time making sure you got it right, simply that you got it out there. Uh, whether it has a big brand name, uh, whether it's got a great uh, name on it, game designer, it doesn't matter. You just got to get it out there so you can get your money back. Well, the Kickstarter changes that. I, I'm not in a hurry to get my money back, some of these developers are saying. I got my money back. And now you've got a 1,000 copies of the game sitting around paid for, and you can take your time to sell them. So you can take them to trade shows, you, uh, the cons, you can sell it online. You can sell it direct. You can sell it in all these different manners. 
what's happening then, that's called a value network. This new value network is starting to be developed because all this money is flowing into Kickstarter. So what you're going to see in 2012 is a secondary market starting to be built up around Kickstarter games. Uh, you're seeing a little bit already with like uh, folks over at Game Salute that you know their focus is becoming, hey, if you have a successful Kickstarter project, come to us, we'll sell your game. That starts to establish a competitive value network to the one that currently exists. If you're an alliance or one of these other uh, distributors, you start to get worried that these tiny little companies are going to take away some of your market. You're probably not too worried because, hey, we're big, they're little, we got money, they don't, we got lots of games. It's, I'm telling you, the reason it's referred to as disruptive innovation is because it's slowly tiny in this tiny market begins to slowly expand and incubate and then it gets better and it gets better and it gets better. And then one day you wake up and it's not this tiny little thing anymore, but it's a big old massive network that's train that's pulling out of the station and you're not on board. And that's what a lot where Kickstarter's going. The book is called The Innovator's Dilemma. It's written by Clayton Christensen. Excellent book. Uh, it's one of the ones I really enjoy reading and looking at markets uh, in such a different way. Another thing that Kickstarter does that kind of comes from the innovator's dilemma, the innovator's dilemma says that one of the things that innovative technology is able to do is address these um, niche markets, tiny, tiny markets that just aren't worth it. Think about it. If you were to go to one of the big game companies and say, hey, I want to design a game. It's really a niche game with a unique uh, theme, and I only want to pr uh, sell initially a hundred copies. What are they going to say? You want to sell a hundred copies? Yeah, that's all I want to sell. A hundred copies. And I'm going to get a hundred people to give me $35. And we're going to come out with this game. hundred people, $35. You know, $3,500. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I want to do. A big game company cannot afford to sell a game to a hundred people. There's not enough margin in for them to pay all those people and all those margins. Why do board games cost $50? Well, because they it costs $10 to make. It, it costs about 10 bucks to make. Well, what does that have anything to do with it? Well, you've got to about a, do a five, a multiplier of five in order to pay everybody in the value chain, right? Uh, 10 bucks to cover all your costs and your marketing and everything development. So if the game's $50, <coughs> excuse me. If the game's $50, then half of it, the cost, half of that goes to the distributor. Took a drink of water there. I could edit it out, but it would make it so less personal as we're sitting listening and talking to each other. They get half of it. So now you're down to $25. Well, now the retailer, uh, excuse me, the retailer uh, gets half of it. Now the distributor wants their piece as well, so they take a piece and little by little by little, it comes down to you end up with about 10 bucks left to pay and manufacture and build this game. Well, you got to pay everybody in between. And then if you're a big company with employees or whatever, you got to keep the lights on. Right? You got to pay the taxes. You got to pay the marketing. There's just no money left over. Ah, but think about a Kickstarter project. You put out a Kickstarter project out there. And that Kickstarter project, you know, as we're talking, I'm just going to go ahead and look one up. Let's just go look up Kickstarter project. What's... Uh, 
How about our folks over at, uh, if I'm going down, AJ, um, if I'm going, okay, if I'm going down, he funded, if I'm going down, a zombie dying card game. Kind of fun. I uh, loved his video. He got 186 backers for that. Okay, AJ did. Now, this is what I'm saying. You go and he raised $10,000 for 186 backers. You go to one of these major manufacturers of board games and say, I want to make a game for 186 people. That's who initially is going to buy this. You're nuts. They're not going to develop a game for you. But Kickstarter allows you to do that. It allows you to fund the initial print run and sell it to the first 200 people, these backers, these, these people who buy it, bought into it and helped you fund it. Okay. Now, sometimes it doesn't cover all your costs, but it covers a lot of your costs. You're not, you're not upside down like the traditional value network is. You're the other way around. Yeah, you might have to take some money out of your pocket, but it's only a little bit of money not mortgaging the house to print up this game and then sitting with it in your in your closet or uh, there'd be too many in your closet, in your garage, and you're parking your car outside in the wintertime in New York. All right? That's not what we're talking about here. That's why this, this, uh, this idea of innovator's dilemma is so critical. Kickstarter allows us, consumers and creators, to service each other at a vastly smaller scale. You know, when you make a board game, uh, the publishers, they usually print at a minimum 2,000 to 3,000 copies of your board game. Well, that costs a lot of money. You know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 to get that game out there. And, that, and then you're hoping you're going to sell it. So that's what I mean. That money's got to come back. Kickstarter's turning that on its head. No, we're only going to sell it to, in this case, if I'm going down, 186 people. Uh, some, some of the more popular ones, let me, you know, since I've been talking about it, let's talk, take a look at D-Day Dice. D-Day Dice, uh, with $171,000, they had, I thought it was 2,000, yeah, 2,100 backers. Now, that's an anomaly. That was an outlier. That one doesn't quite fit the mold, but 2,100 backers. I knew I was knew what I was talking about. But then, uh, what, what's another one? Um, Rise from Crash Games just came out, and how'd they do? They funded at 116%. They raised $17,000, 410 backers. Again, you go and say, I've got 400 backers, or I've got 100 backers, or 180 backers. Some of these RPGs uh, are certainly taking advantage of that. So Kickstarter, what they're doing with Kickstarter, it's changing this value network. It's addressing, allowing you to build a market around a tiny niche market that's too expensive for the big boys to get involved with. And because of that, when you become efficient at these small little tiny niche markets, over time, you become effective at becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Raise of hands, and, and well, if you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. How many of you think that a game company that was successful in 2011 bringing out a Kickstarter game is going to do it again in 2012? We had 110 successful projects. So many of those are going to have expansions or a secondary project. I mean, once they dip their toe in and, and, and get a sense of that, there's going to be more of that. So this value network is going to start being built. They're going to have direct comment communication with their customers and they're no longer going to have to buy into this whole value chain it's going to be a radical change and it's going to happen fairly quickly but it's going to be at a very small scale but in just a couple of years some of these little companies that have just started out maybe it's going to be crash games or maybe it's going to be uh, our folks over at dice hate me games one of them is going to break out and find the formula um, certainly over at uh, tasty minstrel and clever mojo games they've got it down 
these games companies, these are the game, game companies to watch because they figured out this new model. They figured out how to be successful and profitable at a very small scale, and they'll be get bigger and bigger. And when they get bigger and bigger, they won't have to build in that value network. They'll be able to offer the games cheaper, more profitable, bring it closer to market, all the things that, that, uh, is so, that's so difficult for the bigger game companies. All right, our 20 minutes are up. I really uh, I always enjoy sitting down and having this chat with you guys and, and talking about these type of things. Sometimes I worry that you know I kind of get off topic about Kickstarter and board games, but I really think this is applicable, and I thought that it would be interesting and useful for you as we start out 2012 and look to see what's coming. I'm Richard Bliss, The Game Whisperer, your host for, Kickst- for Funding the Dream. Thank you for listening, and take care. <laughs>